Well, as Jordan just noted, what an amazing weekend it was last weekend. Thank you so much for your participation in our Celebration Sunday weekend. And my word, from Operation Christmas Child to the baptisms to feeding almost a thousand people to uh, 330 kids now sponsored in Magange and 2,000 people who went through the Compassion Experience trailers out here. What an amazing weekend it was. It was a, a great reminder for me of just how much we can do together as a church family when we're all pulling on the same rope in the same direction, all organized toward the same vision, and it was just a great, great weekend together. So thank you, Phil, for being a part of it. My name's Adrian. If we haven't yet met, I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free, and especially if you're a newcomer here, we extend a special welcome to you. We know you can go many different places on a Sunday morning, many different kinds of things though, that you can do, but we appreciate you choosing to join us today for worship, and if there's anything that we can do to help you get connected, we have a life group kiosk out there, and we also have an information table to help you get connected well, wherever um, you're looking to get connected here with our church, but we pray that you have a rich time today to meet with God and meet with the people around you. Hey, I, th I thought I would uh, start off this morning with uh, what we just finished up with, which was the Compassion Weekend, the Compassion Experience. I've, I've been thinking a lot about that. Just by show of hands, who had a chance to just go through the Compassion Experience at some point? Great, at least half of us in the room. It was a wonderful experience. And if you remember, there were two different rooms, two different uh, tours that you could take. One took you through a tour of Uganda and Shamim's story through five or six different rooms, and you see the conclusion to her story after about 20 minutes. And the other one was through Carlos in Guatemala. And uh, I was thinking about this message today and, and finalizing the, this series, the Thanksgiving the, that lasts, and thinking specifically about Carlos's story. And if you remember, uh, you go through the first couple rooms in Carlos's story, and you learn about how he's living in his home life. And the struggles he had with his parents and his dad walking away from the family. And then he takes a job at age six in a dying factory to dye t-shirts with all different colors. Makes his eyes sting. And then eventually he gets sponsored by a Compassion International sponsor in the United States. And you're in his uh, schoolhouse and in his church where he shows you this gift that he got from his Compassion International sponsor. And he says through the headphones, this is my Christmas gift from my sponsor, new socks. Have you ever tried on new socks before? You remember that? And it, it, you get the sense he's just kind of gleaming from ear to ear as he's talking about this new socks that he got. Have you ever tried on new socks before? And you continue on well with this story and you get to the conclusion. And the conclusion, he becomes a banker. And as he graduates from high school, he gets another gift. And the second gift was a brand new white button-down shirt. And so Compassion had a replica of that button-down cotton shirt there on a table. And he says, look at my new white shirt. It's the nicest thing I own. You finish up Carlos's tour. And you walk out of the trailer, and an employee greets you with the words, Welcome back to Nebraska. How is your tour of Guatemala? And you feel that. 
You feel the intensity of, have you ever tried on a new pair of socks? And look at this white shirt. It's the nicest thing I own. And then if you're like me, about an hour later, you sit down on the couch at your house, and perhaps you look at the sports scores that you're excited to see. And as you're looking at the sports scores, an advertisement comes on the television telling you about the new luxury model sedan that you need for Christmas with a bow tie on it. And all of a sudden, within about 22 seconds, you're no longer thinking about the new pair of socks that you have on your feet. Indeed, you're feeling sorry for yourself, if you're me, for your little Toyota Corolla. Oh, poor you, Adrian. And feeling how you need this new luxury sedan that you just saw on this commercial. Anyone else? It's amazing how this season particularly pulls us in to discontent and greed and envy and covetousness. So I want to ask myself, I want to ask you, how can we grow in contentment this season? How can we perhaps have a Thanksgiving that lasts beyond this week? How can we have a joyous Christmas that is more than the greatest new toy? How can we have a little bit more of the attitude that we saw and were so impressed with in Carlos that we say, thank you, God, for what I have? I may not have as much as so-and-so, but I thank you, God, for what I have. Well, open with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at truly one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his church in Philippi, ancient Greece. And uh, whether you're looking at this on your phone or on the screen up above or in your paper Bible, Bible however you do it is just fine. But this is over in the New Testament. It's the Apostle Paul who encountered the resurrected Christ, and then he went on to write about it and build a number of different churches, plant a number of churches. And one of those well, was this church in Philippi, ancient Greece. And uh, you can find that about four-fifths the way through the Bible. Are we all there? Philippians chapter 4. We're just going to look at six verses, starting at verse 8. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, follow me as I follow Christ, Paul is saying here. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I encourage you, if you have a paper Bible, to underline these words, I have learned. Two different times the Apostle Paul notes this. I have learned. It's not something... That happens to us naturally. It's not something that's easy. We have to learn to be content. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Here it is again. I have learned the secret 
of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious Father, I thank you for this word. What a beautiful passage it is. How profound it is to consider that we can be content in any and every situation. I know I have many friends in this room today who are struggling for all different kinds of reasons, and I pray that you would speak to them, you would speak to us, you'd speak to me through the power of your word. The last thing we need here this morning is another talk from me. What we need is a message from the unchanging word of God, the scriptures which have life in them and can teach us. So would you please instruct us now on this beautiful grace of contentment, that we would grow in contentment even this holiday season. We invite you to teach us this morning, Jesus. May it be we ask together by faith, amen. What I'd like to do here today is very, very simple. Simply suggest from this passage three ways this holiday season that we could grow in contentment. Raise your hand with me if you'd like to grow in contentment this holiday season. Every hand raised high, right? We'd all like that. We'd all like to grow. I'll raise two of mine, okay? Every one of us would like to grow in contentment this holiday season. Where Paul begins here, where the Scripture begins, is by instructing us, if we want to grow in contentment, we are wise to reflect on what is good. To take some time to pause and to reflect on what is good. It's really important to understand the context here that Paul is writing from a Roman jail cell. He's got two Roman guards watching his every move. He is imprisoned, not for doing anything wrong, but he is imprisoned for refusing to shut up with the good news of Jesus Christ. He's living in the Roman Empire of the day, which is much like many different lands in our own culture here in 2017. We're amongst the fortunate ones here in the United States, but there are many countries around the world that people are not given the freedom of religion or the freedom of thought. And that's where the Apostle Paul was. He was in a place in the Roman Empire that he was not given liberty to speak about what Jesus did for him. And so Paul was a Christian hater, but then he encounters the crucified and resurrected Christ with his own eyes. He sees the resurrection of Christ and he becomes a Christian church planter. He goes from Christian hater to Christian church planter almost overnight. And he refuses to shut up about that which transformed his life. Now earlier in Philippians 4, he invites us to this great exchange that we can release our cares to God through prayer. That when we're anxious, we can give God our anxieties and he'll give us his peace in exchange. That's a pretty good exchange. He says rejoice in all things. He says rejoice in all things even as he's in this jail cell. And he says here, reflect on what is good. Pause and think about what is pure and true and noble. Listen again to verse 8 here from the message paraphrase of the Bible. This isn't a literal translation, but in our own contemporary language, it provides a paraphrase for our ears. Friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, 
gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Man, what a beautiful instruction this is. That we have a choice what we choose to dwell upon each and every day. Paul was just a genius. He understood in 50 AD, about 1950 years prior to contemporary neuroscience, that what we choose to think on eventually gets etched into our brains. Neuroscientists are telling us again and again that if you choose to dwell on certain patterns of thought, those patterns of thought literally get etched into your brains. And so we're all wise to pause and say, what am I choosing to dwell upon? Now, we're no longer in our Discipleship in a Digital Age series. That was six weeks ago, but I'm not done talking about it. Okay, we'll continue to talk about this because it's so critical. And this is why we need to guard how much media intake, how much uh, cable news intake, how much commercialism will we take in. Because as we take in those things in excessive amounts each day, they dictate our thinking. It becomes etched on our brains and etched into our souls. Conversely, if we think on the things of God, if we think on what is good and true and pure and noble and just and right, that likewise get, gets etched into our minds. Now, we're all going to experience some worry. We're all going to experience some fear. We're all going to experience some anger. But the truth is, if we bathe ourselves in a worldly way of thinking that is one and the same as all of our neighbors, bathing ourselves in contemporary media and social media and the like and commercialism, what will happen to us is we will wake up worrying. Then we'll send the kids to school, worrying. Then we'll encounter that coworker, angry. Then we'll see the commercials and feel covetousness in our souls. But to grow in contentment is to focus our mind on what is good. Truly, the battlefront is our own minds. The battle is not with the fleshly powers of this world. We have a battle with an enemy, but we also have a battle in our own minds that we need to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, we noted last week uh, this big idea for the series that, that we're in, and I noted that the natural response to the, to the gospel of Christ is gratefulness and generosity. I want to add one more word to that, and this becomes the big idea for our entire three-week series titled, A Thanksgiving That, that Lasts. The truth is, gratefulness, generosity, and contentment are the natural responses to the gospel of Christ. That as you get the gospel of Christ into your soul, as you meditate on all that Christ has done, as you choose to dwell on the magnitude of God's love for you and those around you each and every day, as you live from his approval rather than for his approval, then gratitude, generosity, and contentment are the natural responses. This becomes the normative Christian life. Say this line out loud well with me. This is so critical for us to understand. Would you please join me? Gratefulness, generosity, and contentment 
are the natural responses to to the gospel. The natural responses to the gospel. Such that we do really well to wake up in the morning and to take a few moments to give thanks. We do really well to look up at a cross and say, Jesus, you went that far from me. I'm never going to get over that. We do really well to consider the power of the Scriptures to say, we are now members of God's family, children of God, sons and daughters of God, and no one can snatch us out of His hand. We do well to consider the fact that Jesus incarnated this earth to identify with us in our weaknesses. He doesn't leave us where we are. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. That's part of what we will celebrate this Christmas, that God became a man to identify with you and me. We do well to remember that he died for us individually. We do well to remember to pause and to give thanks that he rose again victoriously, and because he lives, so also we shall really live. And then from that, we do well to pause and give thanks for things all around us. Well, thank you, God, for the beautiful sunrise yet again this morning. How did you do it again? Thank you, Lord, for the oxygen that's filling my lungs right now. Thank you, God, for this bed that I had to sleep on last night. Thank you, Lord, for the socks that I'm wearing. Thank you, Lord, for clean drinking water. May we not take that for granted. I mean, billions don't have it. Thank you, God, for electricity that I have. Thank you, God, for my family. They're far from perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I thank you for them. And gratitude fills the soul. Reflect on what is good. What if we did this? Take a look at this little video and imagine if we did this each day. I'm alive! I'm alive! That begins with what we choose to think on. I mean, it's humorous, might be a little bit excessive, but that begins with what we choose to think on. And and this is in no way to make light of the real challenges, though, that we go through. 
If you've listened to me at all over the past couple years, you know that I don't expect you to come into this room with a fake plastic smile on your face. That's not us. You come as you are. We're all in process. I'm in process too. So this in no way makes light of any of the real challenges, real trials that people are going through. But Paul is saying, as he is going through real trials, we each have a choice each and every day to think on things above and not on things below, or at least to allow our minds to be increasingly dominated by thinking on things that are noble and true and pure and all the rest. It's a choice that we must make. Second, this holiday season, if we want to grow in contentment, we remember this promise, God provides enough. Remember this promise that God provides enough. What the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage is two different things as he concludes his letter to the Philippians. He is thanking them for their generous gift that they have given to him as he is endeavoring on this missionary enterprise to the Mediterranean. There weren't many churches that shared in Paul's troubles during his time of need. The Philippians did, and so he pauses to write them a letter to say thank you for considering me and contributing financially to this great mission effort throughout the known world. He's thanking them. And secondly, he is teaching them. He's thanking them and he's teaching them that I can get through by the power of Christ who strengthens me. Whether I have a lot or I have a little, I am teaching you, my church, that even in a jail cell, I am very well well aware of God's generosity to me even here. While I have nothing materialistically to my name, I still have Christ. And those who have Christ plus nothing else have what? Everything. Everything we need. Christ plus nothing equals everything we could possibly need for time and for eternity. So verse 11 says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, I'd so love to say that and mean it, to truly mean it in my belly. I can make it through anything by the power of Christ who strengthens me, that I got to have turkey dinner with my family, praise you, Jesus, but some year I might not be able to, and either way, thank you, God, that I might have a meal in a hospital bed this holiday season, but thank you, God, for that meal, that I have a healthy body right now, but other years I haven't been so healthy that I live in a nice home right now, but there might be a time that I might not live in a nice home. One of the most content men that I've ever known was incredibly content while living out of a truck. I mean, he just schooled me on this stuff. Again and again and again, he knew joy and contentment because he understood the power of Christ who strengthened him no matter where he was. It's all about slowly learning to trust that Christ is with you That no matter where you are, no matter where you have been to get you to this point, God produces enough. He doesn't produce enough for all of our wants. He produces enough for all of our needs. And when we are weak, Christ promises to produce strength for us. 
When we are weak, He is strong. And it's learning day after day to believe these promises of God, to pause and reflect on the way that God provides, to think on that, to remember the ways that God has provided enough, and that catapults us toward gratitude. It catapults us toward contentment and toward trust in God, whether we have a little or we have a lot right now. Now, I'd be neglecting my duty as a pastor if I didn't note that Philippians 4.13 is perhaps the most misapplied verse in all the Bible. Perhaps the most abused and misapplied verse in all the Bible. You'll regularly see Philippians 4.13 on like the black eye of football players. I can win this game through Christ who strengthens me. I remember I used to be a boxing fan. Please don't hold it against me. There were boxers who would have on their trunks Phil 4.13 as if by the power of Christ in me I'm going to give you a concussion. Is that what Jesus had in mind? Probably not, okay? Or uh, I can ace this calculus exam, perhaps you've thought high schoolers, even though I didn't study at all by the power of Christ in me. I can play the piano like Mozart even though I haven't practiced much this week. By the power of, no, it doesn't work that way, does it? I used to claim this for my basketball playing abilities. I can leap skyscrapers. I can dunk like LeBron James. By the power of Christ in me. It just never worked. It just never, what a bummer. Why not? Because that's not what it's promising. You always have to read the Bible in context. You read the Bible in context. While it might be inspiring to say, I can knock this sucker out through Christ who strengthens me, that's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is, whether I go through trial or tribulation, I can get through it by the power of Christ in me. Through poverty or prosperity, I can get through it by the power of Christ in me. That is the context that Paul is talking about. And you might wonder, well, why would he even mention, mention living in prosperity, having much? Because when you live in prosperity, there's a whole new cadre of temptations that you'll deal with that you're not dealing with well when you're living in want. Isn't that so? Just different temptations, different challenges. And Paul is saying, I've lived in both of those situations. But I've learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or living in want. Christ is near to me, and he will get me through this. By the power of Christ, I believe I can get through, and I trust in that. It's not about our accomplishments. It's about God's sustenance of us when we're weak. I saw this in a beautiful way last week in the Carney Hub through a little article which had a headline on it, November 17th, 2017, God is so good, says man freed after decades in prison. Did you read this article? Not many newspaper readers anymore? Okay, just me. All right. (laughs) Beautiful article. Listen to this. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. A 65-year-old man who was arrested at age 19 and sentenced to life without parole walked out of prison on Wednesday saying, God is so good after his conviction was overturned by a judge. Authorities withheld evidence that could have exonerated Wilbert Jones decades ago. And their case against him was weak at best, 
State District Judge Richard Anderson said, freedom after more than 45 years and 10 months, that's what's going through my mind right now, Jones said, as he hugged his brother, Plem Jones, and other relatives outside the gates of the East Baton Rouge Parish Prison. Doing all that time was difficult, Jones said, but he told reporters that he holds no resentment. Now listen to this. I forgave and I forgive, Jones said. I didn't have control of it. Why should I worry about it? I'm still in charge of myself. Attorney Emily Ma praised the extraordinary strength of a man who has spent over 16,000 days in prison for something he didn't do and would nevertheless come out with a faith in God and a faith in humanity. How's that possible? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can make it through 45 years in jail, unjustly imprisoned through Christ who strengthens me. This isn't ethereal stuff. This isn't ivory tower stuff. This is boots on the ground Christianity. That whatever trial you might be in, you can get through it by the power of Christ in you. That you might feel like there's a grudge that is built up in your system, a level of resentment that is built up in you, and you don't know how you could possibly let go of that. Ask Jesus. He'll help you. By the power of Christ in us, it can happen. It is oftentimes through the trial, through the cauldron of suffering, that we most learn to trust in God and we experience, I can get through anything by the power of Christ in me. This is the secret of the deeper Christian life of joy and peace that is offered to each of us. And friends, it's not just found here in Philippians 4. I mean, you think of Psalm 23, as David is being chased down by his own son. His own son is trying to, is trying to kill him. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not want. What? You think of Jesus at the hour of his death. And he says, I cleave to you, Father. In this hour of my great need, I, I fall on my knees and I pray to you, yet not my will but yours be done. Father, have your way in my life, even though I don't want what is coming to me. Paul said as well in 1 Timothy 6, as he's apprenticing his young follower Timothy, who's the next pastor in the church in Ephesus, he says, but godliness and contentment is great gain. He says, Timothy, do not allow yourself to be entrapped by the, by the love of money. That's the context here. Don't allow yourself to be entrapped, Timothy, by the love of money. Some people will have more and some people will have less, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, Timothy, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we can be content with that. My portion may be small, he's saying, but God is at my right hand, and so I will not be shaken. I will remember that my God always provides enough. We need to remind ourselves of this great promise of our God. He doesn't provide for all of our wants, but He always provides for our needs.
And then finally, number three, as we want to grow in contentment though, this holiday season, we're wise to resist the comparison trap. Anyone else ever fall into the comparison trap? It's a trap, ain't it? Oh, it's a trap. I had a friend tell me years ago, comparison is the thief of joy. You can take that to the bank. One of the critical lessons, though, that I want to teach my kids is that you will always find some people, you'll always find some parents who have more than what we have, and you'll always find other parents that have less than what we have. There will always be kids that have more than you have. There will always be other kids that have less than we have. Don't pay that any mind. Resist the comparison trap because comparison, 100% of the time, is a thief of joy. Paul could have easily fallen into the comparison trap here. I mean, it would have been totally understandable for him to write something like this to his church in Philippi that was much better, much more well-off than he was. He, he could have written something like this. Dear Philippians, it's about time that you sent me some money. You could have sent a little bit more. I'm broken. Nobody seems to remember me here. I have so little and you have so very much. I'm suffering in a jail cell all by myself while you enjoy the holidays with your families. I'm sitting on limestone eating the leftovers while Roman guards watch my every move. You're sitting in your cozy chairs enjoying heroes, baklava, and live music together with family and friends. I've been wearing the same torn up clothes for months while you put on a new suit every day. God seems to have forgotten me. He would have been within his rights to write something like that. But he didn't. Instead, what he wrote is the letter that's now referred to as the joy-filled letter. Sixteen or seventeen times in the four chapters of Philippians, Paul notes the word joy or one of its cognates. Rejoice, be overjoyed, be full of joy. We'll always find someone who has more. I sometimes look at other pastors and say, God, why, why can't I be more like Andy Stanley? Why didn't you make me Adrian Boykin? Yeah, you always find someone who has more. There's no life in that. There's nothing good that comes out of that. Instead, perhaps we would just echo with the Apostle Paul, even this holiday season, that we would grow in the grace of contentment and we would be able to say, come January 1st, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would you pray with me? Father God, along with this beautiful church, I come before you today and I surrender myself to you. As we conclude this Thanksgiving series, we say together by faith, Lord, we want to receive the goodness of your gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel which brings us peace with God.
it triggers in us a deep sense of gratitude and generosity, thankfulness for all that you have done. And we just admit to you, Lord God, that this word contentment is very, very difficult for us. The natural way of all humans is to feel a little bit sorry for ourselves, to covet what we don't have, to begin to despise what we do have. And we don't want that this holiday season. So together as one voice, as one church family, we're asking you, God, to help us to receive the love of Christ through the gospel. You'd help us to reflect on what is good in our lives. Our lives aren't perfect, far from it, but we choose to reflect on what's good. Help us to remember the promise that you provide for our needs, not for all of our wants, and you give enough. And help us, oh God, please help us to resist that ugly comparison trap and instead to live with a sense of gratitude and awe before the one who has put breath in our lungs, in whose name we pray, amen.